Hello and welcome to Front and Center, a show dedicated to insights and perspectives on commercial real estate investment across the public and private market. Produced by Center Square Investment Management, Front and Center hosts timely and relevant conversations with firm thought leaders about the trends and drivers impacting the global real estate asset class. For more information, please visit centersquare.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Front and Center. I am Scott Crow, Chief Investment Strategist and President here at Center Square Investment Management. And once again, I'm joined by my colleague, Uma Moradi, Senior Investment Strategist and ESG Lead at our firm. And today we have a special guest because the focus of today's podcast is what's happening in the REIT world, especially as we are on the cusp of earnings and are about to get a lot of data about the changing underlying environment in the private real estate markets from REIT earnings. Alex is a real estate securities portfolio manager on our REIT team. And Alex, welcome to uh, Front and Center. Hi, Scott. Thanks for having me. Maybe just a little bit about yourself. You know, tell us a little bit about your background, what you focus on here at Center Square. Absolutely. I've, I've been here at Center Square for 12 years. As you said, I'm a portfolio manager. Day to day, that means I'm trying to craft a portfolio and pick stocks that outperform the market. And so, you know, the fun part of this job is really digging into what's happening on the ground with real estate and figuring out, you know, what the best places to be are. So, you know, happy to be here and talk about, you know, the things that can help anybody listening here. Great. Well, look, let's get into it. So going into this earnings season, I mean, what are you, what are you generally expecting to come out of it? I'm expecting normalization. Yeah. So if there's one word to take away. It's it's. I think we're kind of entering a great normalization that is frankly quite welcome in most ways uh, after many years of a pandemic followed by the interest rate rises from the Fed, which have had a fairly large impact on real estate. And so what we're seeing is that some of the really high flying sectors that were huge beneficiaries of the pandemic, like industrial, are still incredibly strong, but are starting to plateau from those really strong fundamentals at a great level. And then on the other side, you know, one of the biggest pandemic losers has been office. And office, while still not strong by any stretch, is starting to show some green shoots and some signs of finding a bottom. Trees aren't growing to the sky in industrial and, uh, you know, the, the bottom has stopped falling out in things like office. All right. So that's what you mean by normalization is that uh, things are starting to, to plateau or rebase, if you will, into what might be the next new normal. Absolutely. Yep. And I guess maybe, Alex, the two sectors that you touched on there, both industrial and office, probably what we would consider to be core sectors. That being said, we have exposure across the REIT market to so many niche and alternative sectors. I mean, what are you expecting on that front, whether it's things like healthcare, cold storage, data centers? What does what maybe that normalization look like in some of those other alternative sectors that we have across the REIT market? That's a great question, Emma. And, you know, one of uh, our favorite sectors here at Center Square is senior housing. And senior housing was dramatically impacted by the pandemic because it's an older, more fragile population that was very susceptible to the effects of COVID-19. Occupancies there fell pretty hard and have been recovering really nicely, uh, along with lots of good rate power out of the landlords. And the labor issues that we've seen over the last couple of years are starting to normalize as well. So you're starting to get this really nice 
margin expansion out of senior housing that should continue into the foreseeable future, frankly, as the demographics of the aging baby boomers start to age into needing these types of facilities. So that one is normalizing out of COVID in a really positive way and should continue to. On the other side, something like storage, more of a niche sector that's very easy to get exposure to publicly, had an incredible run during the pandemic as people moved, as people cleared out rooms in their homes in order to make home offices. They put things in storage and you know rates and earnings just blew it out of the water and that is starting to normalize back down as people you know find a rhythm in life post pandemic so look we know that office is a small part of the read index but it's very big in the headlines and i'm sure very interesting to many of our listeners you know what is happening in in the office market right now and what, what trends do you expect to emerge from this earnings season so i think office it has been hurt quite a bit over the pandemic, it has. And there are some markets that are really starting to find their legs though. It just seems like Manhattan is the, is the indestructible city. You know, if you go into Manhattan right now, things are vibrant, things are looking really strong. People are returning the office there more than anywhere else, uh, largely because of the, the culture of the city and the fact that people just like being there. And so office Manhattan leasing has been showing signs of steadying out and improving, especially for the highest quality buildings. And that last point is something that you're seeing kind of across the board, where even in San Francisco, a market that is nearly a third vacant, the highest quality buildings are still only single digits vacancy and the landlords still have some degree of pricing power. So as we, as we go forward into office, as leasing starts to normalize and come back, it's those higher quality buildings, that top you know, quartile of office that should actually be okay from here on out. A lot of the headlines that you're seeing are from buildings that are lower quality, that haven't had as much capital put into them, are not in as great locations. And, you know, those headlines are probably going to keep appearing. But what's interesting is not for the REITs, most likely, right? The, the REITs own the product and have the balance sheets that, you know, if anything, they'll be the beneficiaries from all of this fallout as they eat a bigger share of a shrinking pie and potentially have the ability to capitalize um, on some of the cheap transactions that could be out there. Yeah, well, one of the interesting things is, is what is quality in the office space? And we sort of, we saw this movie play out a little bit in the mall industry, gosh, going back uh, almost eight, 10 years ago, where the definition of quality got, you know, tighter and tighter. And, you know, basically, I remember seeing a statistic that almost all the net absorption has gone to, you know, newer assets, assets built, say, after 2016. Is that, is that, a, is that a fair observation? It is. The definition of what is quality in office has continued to get smaller and smaller and smaller. You're seeing people differentiating between class A and trophy, like true trophy. And you can't just have a great building and you can't just have a great location anymore. You need to be a great building in a great location. To circle back to Manhattan, you know, once again, is kind of a leading example point. If you are around Grand Central Station, so you have very easy access to transit and you have a new building or heavily renovated building, you're still seeing transactions at frankly surprisingly high price points and leasing getting done at fairly strong rents at the same time where there are buildings that are practically giving the space away for free just so someone has, the landlord has a tenant to pay for the OPEX and they can't get anybody in the building. That, that bifurcation is as strong as I've ever seen it. Yeah, and the other interesting feature that's developed in the marketplace is tenants really care about who their landlord is, right? Like we've also saw this in the in the mall industry, you know, players like Simon, Property Group, 
and others were really able to sort of weather the storm and come out the other side with a rationalized supply picture as a lot of the competition fell away. And that's because they had a balance sheet. And I think that argument is probably very true for the REIT market versus most private real estate investors that are much more highly levered. And you know, REITs have just you know, generally lower leverage and also better access to capital because they predominantly use the unsecured bond market versus the banking system and the banking system, you know, kind of with what's been happening in, in you know, broadly over the last six months has, has, you know, experienced the most tightness, if you will. So do you expect the, a similar thing that we saw in the mall industry to play out here in the office market? I do. And, you know, to, to just run through some really simple math, you know, most of the REITs are commonly 30% leveraged, right? And so if office values go down by a third, then the equity value of the REITs is down by call it half. You know, whereas if you're a private player and you're the standard kind of 65 to 70 percent loan to value and values go down by 30 percent, you suddenly really don't have any equity left. And then if you don't have any equity, you're not going to put a lot more money into the asset most of the time. And so this focus on landlords is, is very correct and very smart by the tenants and the brokers helping them out with it. They're going to the landlords with money because they can put the capital in the building. They can put the new HVAC systems in with new HEPA filters. They can lead certify the buildings and do all of the, the ESG things that make the buildings run more efficiently. And so, yeah, the, the REITs are actually in a very good position relative to the rest of the office market. It's, a, it's still a suffering sector, but the, the REITs themselves um, should, should be kings of that castle. So I guess maybe just taking a step back and thinking big picture, right? We've been waiting for this recession, and I say recession, like big R recession, to still show up. But we've been seeing a rolling recession really taking place throughout the economy so far. I guess, Scott, when, you know, when you're looking through what's happening from an earnings season perspective, what these companies are actually going to be telling us, what are you really watching for in terms of indications that help us understand how this rolling recession is impacting real estate? Yeah, it's a great question. And I guess let's, uh, you know, elaborate a little bit on, you know, your comment of rolling recession. Uh, Fed started hiking aggressively, call it 18 months ago. And, you know, since then, the first thing that rolled over was cryptocurrency and then technology and then the housing market and then parts of the commercial real estate market. And what has not cracked yet is, um, is the consumer. And I think that you know, while I'd like to be optimistic that, you know, we're going to have a soft landing. I mean, I think just the fact that the yield curve is so negative, this interest rate hike has, you know, been so abrupt and uh, so aggressive uh, hiking cycle that, you know, the, the probabilities of a, a soft landing, i.e. avoiding a recession, are, are pretty low because the Fed is going to need to basically see unemployment increase 100, 200 basis points before they can be certain that they've put this inflation genie back in the bottle. Now, look, to be fair, the inflation genie looks like it is getting back in the bottle, but for it to stay there, they really need to cool that labor market. And so, you know, I think they're going to use another, uh, you know, they've got two interest rate hikes uh, in their pocket. They'll use at least one of them. And they're just going to keep interest rates high in, in, until they cool that labor market. I think that What's interesting uh, from Alex's comments is that we are starting to see things plateau in some of the higher flying sectors. So, you know, that means the parts of the economy that have been keeping the momentum going are now starting to, you know, flatten out. 
And, uh, you know, while it seems that, uh, you know, we've been talking about recession for, for quite some time, you know, this is not atypical. If you go back and look at, uh, you know, prior cycles like post, sorry, pre-GFC or uh, pre-2000s before the tech bubble burst, the same thing happened. It takes about 18 months for these interest rate increases to to feed through to the economy. And you know, this cycle, we, we've had this unique characteristic of consumers having all this excess liquidity from the overstimulation that happened uh, as a result of COVID. So, you know, in, in essence, what we were able to do is, I guess, skirt a lot of the, the things that could have been catastrophic as it relates to, to COVID, um, you know, through this huge amount of stimulus. And, you know, now, now we got to go through the other side and uh, I, I guess sort of pay that back from an economic uh, standpoint. So what I would expect to see in earnings from a big picture standpoint is that, you know, things are definitely starting to plateau out for those stronger parts of the real estate market. And that's just indicative of the underlying economy being very likely on the cusp of a pretty significant slowdown as we go into the second half of this year. Yeah, and I think some of the sectors where we see maybe the most direct impact and read through in terms of the health of the consumers is probably from a rental residential perspective, right? So as we think about apartment earnings specifically and, and housing being such a big part of that inflation story that we have been watching for, for a long time here, what do you think that apartment earnings are really going to tell us about the health of the consumer and, and where that housing space kind of stands right now? Great question, Alex. What are you expecting? I think this earnings season for residential will follow the pattern we've been discussing, where it's healthy, but it's it's no longer posting those massive green candles that we saw for a lot of last year. And and that's a good thing, right? That, that means that the economy is normalizing, that inflation is coming down, and, and we're seeing that real time in the earnings. You're seeing, you know, rents that are up mid-single digits, right? Not Not double digits. And it just shows that while the consumer is still okay, employment is still strong, that we're, we're just getting into a more normalized environment where people aren't just kind of throwing money against the wall because you know they, they got it free through stimulus checks and whatnot. Um, so again, I, I consider what we're seeing here to be a very healthy environment uh, for residential uh, that we're returning to. Certainly slowing down versus where it came from. And, uh, you know, interestingly, sort of, you know, Powell actually mentioned rents as something he's very focused on. So you know, again, I would expect that trend to continue to decelerate, and, you know, maybe even go negative, particularly in some markets where there is some supply that's going to be hitting the market on the uh, on the residential side. All that being said, you know, the residential market in aggregate, including single family homes and other, you know, the, the whole residential ecosystem is in a much better place than it was pre-GFC. And, you know, I think one of the things that is going to uh, you know, help in this downturn is that we're not going to get anything like the repeat of what we saw going back 15 years ago. So look, a recession, but much, much more mild than uh, certainly what we saw back in the financial crisis. Hey, well, look, with that, we are uh, out of time today. I'd like to thank our guest, Alex, and I'd like to thank Uma for joining us. And I'd like to thank you for joining us too. And we look forward to talking to you on our next episode of Front and Center. Thanks for listening to Front and Center. You can subscribe on your favorite streaming platform and please be sure to leave us a review. To stay up to date, you can visit our website at centersquare.com to access our thought leadership, sign up for our mailing list, or contact our team. We look forward to hearing from you. The content of this podcast is informational only and represents the viewpoints of the presenters at the time of recording. 
It should not be regarded as a solicitation nor investment advice. All information presented is subject to change at any time based on new data, analysis, or market conditions. Past performance is no guarantee of future results.